I read a book a few years ago, and I recommended it to you. It's been a long time since I recommended it to you, but it was called Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Anybody ever read that book? Well, somebody wrote this. He said, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned from Noah. Don't miss the boat. We're all in the same boat. Plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Stay fit. When you're 600 years old, God may call you to do something big. So stay fit. Don't listen to critics. Just do the job that needs to be done. Build your future on high ground. For safety's sake, travel in pairs. Speed isn't always an advantage. The snails were on board with the cheetahs. When you're stressed, float a while. I like that one. And remember, the ark wasn't built by professionals. The Titanic was. No matter the storm, when you were with God, there's always a rainbow waiting. Isn't that good? I mean, there's just some good common sense advice there. Well, last week in our series on grit, we came to Noah. We've talked about Jesus, who the main takeaway from being a person with guts or courage, being a person of grit, of guts, resilience, integrity, and tenacity, is number one, like Christ, you've got to remember who you were. If the Sadducees and the Pharisees could have changed him, they would have. If the Roman government could have changed him, they would have. But Jesus knew who he was and what he was called to do. He was fully human, yet fully God. And there was this whole dynamic going on in his life that you and I will never know. And he went to Calvary to bear our sin. So be who God created you to be. You don't want to be me. I don't want to be you. I don't want your life. You don't want my life. We want the life that God created us to live. Josh, you're going to be leaving this week to go to college, to Taylor University and, and study. You're going to become who God has called you to be. You've been shaped by your parents and by this church, and we're so proud of you and your faith in God, but God's about to start something brand new through your life. And when you come home, your mom and daddy may not even know you anymore. There's just going to be so many good things. But just remind them you need their paycheck as well, you know, while you're in school. Second person we looked at, we looked at the life of Daniel. And we looked at the resiliency and we looked at the grit of Daniel and how that Daniel, he stayed faithful and he prayed and he sought God. He never gave up his faith, even though his world fell apart. Remember, his parents would have been killed. Jerusalem was destroyed. He was sent as a 17-year-old exile into the land of his enemies, into the land of Babylon. And even as a teenage boy, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, decided they would not abandon their faith in God. They stayed faithful to the Lord. And though they faced fiery furnaces, and though they faced the lion's den, and though they had been the salvation of the very people that were trying to destroy them, if you want to know more about it, just go online and listen to the message. But the very people they saved then tried to turn around and kill them. Daniel still remained faithful. And our takeaway was there, if you follow God, if you're faithful to what God is doing in your life, God will be with you in the furnace. God will be with you in the lion's den. And nothing can end your life until God is finished with your life. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Well, last week, we started on the life of Noah. And I told you that the opening chapter and the closing chapter 
The middle chapter of my life is all what was said in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. It's true of your life as well, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And although the message was not about the flood, the message is about how God brought his family, Noah's family, through an epic disaster. Never there had been anything that happened like this. And we looked at how the meteorology and the cosmology was all different in that day. We also looked at why we believe the story. Jesus believed the story. It's in the Word of God. And though I could give you over a dozen accountings of people who said they have seen the ark, some who have seen that they've touched, that have even touched it, though I could give you over a dozen accountings, whether it's on top of Mount Ararat or not on Mount Ararat, doesn't have a thing to do with my faith. I love those kinds of stories of people that have seen it and touched it. However, that has nothing to do with my faith. I trust the story because it's in the Bible, and I trust the story because Jesus trusted the story. Jesus said as it was, in the days of Noah, so would it be when he returned. As a matter of fact, over the years, I've dug up several books on archaeology. Thank you. Some of you got it. I was real proud of myself for writing that. First service, nobody ever got it. They just went, boo, you know, when I... I feel, I feel vindicated now. I could go home and say I've had church already. But I shared one story with him about a Russian aviator named Vladimir Rostovitsky who said he'd actually seen the ark when he was stationed in Turkey and was flying Russian airplanes over the top of Mount Ararat. He actually described the ark. And so there are many, many people from Dr. Tim LaHaye to Dr. Henry Morris, a respected scientist, and also the head of, uh, well, he just went to heaven a couple of years ago, but it, the head of in, the Institute for Creation Research. People had actually seen and actually touched it. And so we talked about Noah, though he didn't have the stories that we have, Noah had faith in God. Noah not only believed God's word, he acted upon God's word. And we looked at how faith is rational. And we took apart that whole thesis when some people say you have to take a blind leap of faith. There's no such thing as a blind leap of faith. You can't come to God until first you've thought it through. Is there a God? Does God really exist? If he really exists, did he send his son Jesus to die for my sins? And if he sent his son Jesus to die for my sins, what does that mean for my life? We looked at three real questions as we talked about the rationality of faith. We asked ourselves, what's real? What's right and wrong? And what should I be living for? For the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, by faith we understand. And if that's in your outline, circle that phrase, we understand. Faith is rational. When Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight, he's not talking about mindless people, but he's talking about people who have transformed, renewed minds. We talked about how faith makes a decision. And we looked at some of you may be standing in a place where you're facing an epic disaster. Maybe some of you are going through a storm. Maybe some of you have been divorced. Maybe some of you have lost a child. Maybe some of you have had a, an untimely death. I held a friend this week while he, he wept. I held his children while they wept who lost their mother in an untimely death this week. And I grieved with them. And there were no words to say. There was just the presence of being a Christian and being a friend in Christ and holding them while they wept. You may be in that place of disaster this morning, but faith 
prepares itself for those times because we all know there are going to be storms that come in our life, storms that we could never guess the magnitude. It's why in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, we're told, prepare our minds for action and exercise self-control. Circle those words, prepare and exercise. And then we looked at how faith commits and how not only did Noah prepare for the flood because he believed God's word, but Noah actually then decided he would act upon the word of God. He committed to the word of God. And by doing so, Noah's life was defined. And for every one of us, there comes a defining moment in our lives. It said of President George W. Bush that the defining moment in his life was 9-11 and how he responded to 9-11. That is going to be the defining moment of his presidency. What defines you this morning? Have you allowed your life to be defined by your problems? Have you allowed your life to be defined by your health? Have you allowed your life to be defined by your children or your, your marriage? Have you allowed your life to be defined by your illness? God calls us to let our lives be defined by Him and find our true purpose and our true meaning in Christ, and then our families and our marriages and our children, everything else begins to fall in place there as we put God first, which leads me then to where I want to pick up this morning and begin to try and exegete this for you, and that is that number two, Noah's obedience was a sacrificial obedience, you see, obedience always comes with a sense of sacrifice. Noah had a call from God. Whether you realize it or not, you have a call from God. Noah's call from God was to build an ark. As we looked at last week, nobody had ever seen an ark before. As one comedian said, when God spoke to Noah and said, build an ark, Noah must have looked back at God and says, what's an ark, you know? But God called him to, and it was going to be a sacrificial commitment, a hundred-year commitment of building that ark. I like the fact that when I look at this, I see that Noah wasn't a coward, but Noah was truly a godly man because, you see, cowards cannot respond to the call of God. Cowards go, you only go around once in life, so I'm going to get all the gusto I can, as the old beer commercial used to say. Cowards say, I'm going to die, so I'm going to get all the pleasure I can in this life. But Noah had the courage. He had the guts. He had the, the courage. He had the resiliency. He had the integrity. He had the tenaciousness for a hundred years to obey the plan of God. There is no other record of God speaking to him during the building project, but he obeyed the plan of God, and he built an ark, and according to what Pastor Corey read us this morning, he saved his family. He faced the reality of the criticisms. He faced the reality of the ostracism. He faced the reality of the people that would mock him and call him a silly old loon, a foolish old man, but he kept building his result. He faced it like a man should face a problem or like a woman should face a problem because he respected not only the nature of God, he respected the Word of God. God is not a capricious God. God is not an angry God. God is not an out-of-control God. He is a loving Father, and what He was about to do was because of His love for human beings and because of His love for this planet. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 14, He says, build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, and leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. 
put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. This week, I had two boys here at the church to help me, and we measured out the dimensions of the ark. It starts, if you go to our back parking lot from the building, it starts from there, goes back to the forest behind the, pine, the, the, the ball field. We measured the width of the ark, and we measured the height of the ark, and as we looked at the stakes we put in the ground, we realized again just how enormous this boat really was. It wasn't until 1858 that there was a, a ship that was built as large as what the ark was. And that boat was the Great Easterner that was built. And when that boat was built, it was only 60, 692 feet by 83 feet, and it was narrower than what the ark of the covenant was. Tests had been done on similar box-like structures like the notes would, the ark would have been. And it survives the equivalent of what would be a tidal wave. It survives the winds and the storms. Where did Noah come up with this design? It wasn't from Lawrence Tech. It wasn't from the first-class technology schools that are around here. But it was from the mind and the very plan of God to build something like this in that age before the flood. What about the millions of species? If we think about it for just a moment, the maximum number of families that are represented today in our modern world is 700. But if it corresponds to species, then it's a much higher number. And yet even our scoffers and our critics have to acknowledge the fact that most of those animals that are included in, in the species section, they wouldn't have to be on the ark to survive, like the fish and the mollusk and the sponge, many of the worms and the arthropods. We could go on. We, we looked at the fact when we went through the book of Genesis on Wednesday nights, how that the largest land animals that we're aware of, that we're aware of, would have been like the elephant and the giraffe and the rhinoceros that would have come on, but the average size animal is, the si is smaller than the size of the average size sheep. I took some pictures of my mother with a sheep at one of the local farms, and as I did, I suddenly had this mental picture of my message again. So I came home and Googled real quickly, and did you know that in a railroad car, you can fit 240 sheep on an upper deck and a lower deck of a railroad car. And so when you look at it, it's not an impossibility at all that Noah would have gotten the ark. Dr. Henry Morris and some other scientists got together and did some calculations according to some of the specifics I just gave you, and it would have only filled up half of the ark so that Noah would have had a room for food. You can collect a lot of food over 100 years, can't you? It would have had a lot of water. It would have had all the supplies that they needed not only to survive the flood, but to start all over again after the flood. Where did this plan come from? It didn't come from the mind of man. It came from the heart of God because of God's desire to start all over again. Friends, I want you to know, I believe the Word of God. But it took a sacrifice. God gave the Word, but Noah had to build the ark. And what I find a lot of times is people will ask me, say, Pastor, will you pray that God will give me a word? I can't tell you how many times. I know you've been asked that, Pastor Rick. I know Pastor Corey and Pastor Mark. Would you pray that God would give me a word? And I'll say, well, if God gives you a word, what are you going to do? And I've had some silly enough to say to me, well, I guess I'll decide when I get the word. Well, you're not going to get the word if you're not going to obey. 
Why in the world would God speak to you if you got to make up your mind whether you're going to trust and obey? God had found a Noah, a man that would not only hear the word of the Lord, but a man who would obey the word of the Lord. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? I want to be that kind of man. I want you to be that kind of person. I want us to be that kind of church. Let me go back to the scripture that Pastor Corey read this morning. Just, just listen as I read it. By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. Think of Kansas or Nebraska. He was warned about something he couldn't see, and he acted on what he was told. He'd never seen rain. He'd never seen a flood. The water, the earth was watered by the mist or the springs that came up from the ground, according to Genesis chapter 2. And what was the result of God giving him a word and Noah acting upon that word? His family was saved. I am fully persuaded that the reason that some families are saved is because some people read the word and they decide it's too great a sacrifice to obey the word. And therefore, I would rather be comfortable. And then later in life, they want Pastor Corey or Pastor Rick to solve a problem for them. Friends, if God gives us his word, he gives us the strength, he gives us the endurance, he gives us the grit, the courage, the resiliency, the integrity, and the tenaciousness to obey the Word of God, and it will result in the saving of our homes. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? You see, his family was saved, and his act of faith, now look at this, his act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. I have been reading a lot lately, I guess because of the political campaigns, Boy, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people in America that are mad at people like you and me. There are a lot of people in America that can't stand us. Matter of fact, we are the troublers. We're the troublemakers of the United States. We're what's wrong with the United States. As I re- and I'm not paranoid. I could just give you article after article that I've collected How that evangelicals have got to be made to change their minds on certain issues that we can't compromise upon the Word of God. How that the Roman Catholics have got to be changing their minds because of some of the things that they believe. How that they went through three different religions according to one of the advisors to Hillary Clinton. And I downloaded that article again in case I got challenged on it this week by somebody listening over the internet. And they looked at the Jewish religion, they looked at Protestant Christianity, and they looked at Roman Catholicism. And all three of them have dangerous elements to the United States, but of all three of them, they said Roman Catholicism was the one they thought they could persuade most easily. Friends, I want to tell you something. You will never persuade a passionate follower of Christ, whether he's Protestant, whether he's a Messianic Jew, or whether he's Roman Catholic, you will never persuade a passionate follower of Christ not to trust the Word of God. Our hope is built upon the evangel. That's why they call us evangelicals. Our hope is built upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the evangel. I am not ashamed of the preaching of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. You see, one time there was a man named Elijah. 
You might not would have liked Elijah very much. I think I would have liked Elisha better than I liked Elijah because to me, Elijah was pretty crabby a lot of times when you read the Bible. He was that kind of guy that just woke up sometimes grumpy when you read about him. He was the kind of guy that didn't show up when he said he would show up. He's a hard-to-understand prophet for me sometimes when I read his stories, but I love, love, love the stories of Elijah. One time, he had told the king, he said, it won't rain again until I say it's going to rain. And you wonder how he could say that. It's because he had seen what was invisible. He had been in prayer. He had heard from God. And so he was supposed to come before the king and uh, King, king Ahab and his servant, the king's servant, or his steward, Oliab, went to Elijah and said, Elijah, I have told the king you're coming. Please show up today. In other words, I'm going to lose my head if you don't show up today. So Elijah shows up to King Ahaz, and Ahaz looks at him, and he says, you troubler of Israel. You know why he was a troubler of Israel? Because Elijah preached the word of God. Elijah called the people of God to repentance. Elijah stood fast on the word of God. And Ahaz looked at him and says, you trouble of Israel. And Elijah looked the king right back in the eyes, knowing the king could have had him executed at any moment. And he says, oh, king, hear me. I am not the one who troubles Israel, but it is you and it is your wicked wife who trouble this nation because of the sorcery and the witchcraft and the unfaithfulness you have brought into this nation. I submit to you, it is not the born-again, blood-washed church of the Lord Jesus Christ and is the problem with America today. We are the salt and the light. We are, as Ronald Reagan said, a city set on a hillside. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. But there's always a line that's drawn between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. So don't be dismayed and don't be shocked and don't be surprised when people are critical or hostile to some of the things we believe. Because like Noah, you too can become intimate with God, according to verse 7. When Noah obeyed God, he built according to a pattern. Noah just didn't go out and build an ark. God gave him a pattern. You see, there's coming a day when I'm going to give an account to God. I'm going to give an account to God for the family that he's gave me. I'm going to give an account to God for my wife, Becky, and our four wonderful children. I'm going to give an accounting to God for the grandchildren that he's given us and the influence I've had upon them. But in a real sense, every pastor is a father to a congregation. And I'm going to give an accounting to God for how I've pastored this congregation and how I've preached as a pastor. I don't go away from my study break every year just to think up little fancy thoughts or positive thoughts or stimulating thoughts. I go away to fast and I go away to pray. And I build a plan year after year for preaching and teaching. And the dream of my heart and the passion of my heart is that over the years, I give you the pattern of God and I give you the building materials of God and give you enough input that if you will act upon and apply the Word of God, you can build a stable ark for the saving of your family, especially in a culture like we live in today. So I've sought to preach 
over and over again the fundamental doctrines of faith, of why there is one true God, of why we can believe the Bible, of why man is a sinner and why man needs to be born again. I've tried to preach to you about the blood of Jesus and the virgin birth of Jesus, His sinless life. I've tried to preach to you about the Holy Spirit and the ministry and the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I've tried to take you through all of those fundamental things, even divine healing. I've tried to take you through and give you the stuff to build the decks with, like prophecy, that our Lord Jesus is coming again. I've tried to give you the stuff to build the walls and the rooms on those decks, like how to build a happy home, how to build a holy marriage, how to raise godly children, how to have a happy sexual life. I've tried to give you the floor planks that you need to put floors in those rooms, like how to build stewardship and how to give and how to manage your money. I've taught you how to get along with the people that live in the next room on the ark to you, how to control your anger and how to love the unlovable. I've tried over the years to give you those things because there is a pattern in the Word of God that as I read it every morning and I capture one biblical statement and I write a life application statement for me and for my children when they inherit my journals, I write for them so they can see the pattern of the Word of the Lord. But sometimes as I've been a pastor for all of these years since my early 20s, there have been people that I pastored, they're lazy. They're lazy. They want to pick up a board here. They want to pick up a board there. And they think they can build an art by putting a board here and a board there. I like this part or I like this part. I don't like this part. They're like Thomas Jefferson. They cut out and excise out of the Bible what they don't agree with and what they don't like. I believe it all from cover to cover. The prophecies, the miracles, the promises, the warnings. I believe God's Word. And I've tried to give you that to build your family. Because if you you're just building piece by piece. The very thing that God means for you to ride above is going to be the very thing that sinks you down. Or maybe you build an adequate floating device that keeps your head above the waters, but you're constantly gasping for breath. But God does not want you sucked under. God does not want you gasping for breath. He has called you to be more than a conqueror. And when you're in the ark, you ride above the waves. You ride above the storms. God has called us to be more than overcomers. That's the word of the Lord. But you don't do it, friends, when you start out in our new believers class. You don't do it when you start out discovering Woodland and its ministries. You don't even do it when you've got through all four of our discipleship classes. But year after year, like Noah, you build, you hammer, you cut, you saw, you keep building. You read the Bible. You pray with your wife. You pray with your children. You walk with Jesus. You walk in the Spirit. You give faithfully. You share your faith in Jesus. Jesus, you gather with a small group, you're building a life. That's what God calls us to do. We're building a life with other people. It always, always is funny to me, if not sad, of the people that say, I don't need the church. Why, they're smarter than God. They're smarter than Jesus who died for their sins upon the cross. Well, the church is not perfect. Duh. You just woke up and realized that? You think the rest of us are as dumb as a stump as you are? Of course the church is not perfect. None of us are perfect. I don't know of anything that is perfect. And if it was, I'm not sure I would fit in very well there. I know you wouldn't. <laughs> you see, what qualifies us 
isn't how witty or clever. It isn't our charisma or lack of charisma. What qualifies us is the call of God. God called Noah to build an ark. God called you, sir, to be a husband and a father. He called you, ma'am, to be a mother and a grandmother. He called you as children to honor and respect your parents and obey them. You see, it's not my word that matters. It's the word of God that matters. It's not my opinion that matters. It's why I labor to be faithful in preaching the Bible, sometimes preaching it because I know that there's going to be pushback, sometimes preaching it because I know there may be people who get angry. Recently, a leader in my community asked me a question regarding our faith, and, and I knew then that I was being put on the spot in front of everybody, and so as gently as I could, I answered his question according to the Scriptures, and when he exploded in his anger and told me what he thought of people like me and churches like me that believe that, I looked at him and I said, you would never respect me if I was unfaithful to the Word of God, if I bowed to the kind of intimidation that you're looking on top of me with trying to make me back down or my church back down, you would think I was like every other coward in this room. Instead, I declare to you, sir, there will come a day when you and I both will give an accounting to God and I am willing to stand upon the blood of Jesus and his righteousness and the promises of God and not the mere whims of men. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, have the guts to stand up to your confession in Christ. There's coming a day, there's coming a day, and in all fairness, that leader, since he hasn't apologized, but he sure made a lot of other overtures since then. I want to tell you something. People may not apologize, but they will respect you for the courage of your convictions. They will never respect you for being wishy-washy about your faith. That wasn't in my outline. You see, Noah got involved with the world. He loved those lost people. His act of faith drew that sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. You can't be in love with God and hate the world. God didn't send judgment upon the earth because he was angry with those violent, wicked people. It was his justice but his justice is a demonstration of his love, as I hope to try and prove to you from the word of the Lord this morning. But he found a man like Noah, descended from the line of Seth, the messianic line. He found a man like Noah who had proving power and standing power. And when you have proving power, which means you act upon the word of God, you prove his promises true, then you're like the man Jesus talks about who built his house upon the rock and when the storms came and beat up against it, it still stood. You see, you first got to hear the word and act upon the word. That's the proving power. You build your house. The standing power is when you build upon it and the storms are going to come. And how many of you in here, you've been through an epic storm in your life before? Say amen. amen. You know, in this congregation... I can't tell you the epic storms that members of our church have walked through. You see, when you get involved with the world, you love and you suffer. Noah loved and suffered for the world. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. 
Manoah preached to them, but nobody got saved. Nobody came and repented. We talk about William Carey being the father of modern-day missions. William Carey labored for decades before anybody crossed the line and gave their heart to Jesus Christ. And yet every missionary, just as we did in our mission service at the General Council last uh, two weeks ago, just as they did in that missionary service, we remember the words of William Carey. We think about him because of the example that he served. And so you look at the life of Noah, and you go, what's his church? All he's got is his family. He wasn't a persuasive speaker. He wasn't a charismatic speaker, perhaps. He, he, maybe he just didn't know, have good leadership skills. But friends, none of that is true. Noah was faithful to God. What God is looking for you today is not results. God is looking for faithfulness. If you will be faithful, God will pull you through the storms of this life. That's what he was looking for. Some of you this morning, maybe you're being mocked. Maybe you're being made fun of for your character. One of our members' jobs was threatened unless they would lie upon a document, and they said they wouldn't lie upon the document. They weren't fired. They came to me and said, Pastor, what should I do? If I, if I lose my job, we're, we're living paycheck to paycheck now. I said, you, you can't lie. You can't lie. Just go to them. Confront them with the lie. I said, I want to tell you, if you confront them, there's greater fear of you being a whistleblower and the lawsuit that you're going to get if they fire you. And I will help you find the meanest lawyer I can find to sue them with. So he didn't get fired. You will suffer sometimes for doing what's right. Thirdly, this morning, and this is so important, Noah entered the ark. He said, Pastor, yeah, he built the thing. The storm comes, it goes in. Well, let's just look at that for just a moment. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wives and three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Then it goes and tells us all about the animals. You see, now listen carefully, because there's a dual application to this. When you prepare for the storm and you build, you got a place to go. I told this story in the first service. My mother is here, and I never even told my mother what I'm about to tell you. But after we had adopted our first two sons, I got a call from Emory University, Emory Hospital. We were in the middle of a building project. Our school was growing. I had a little side gig business going on that I was building, and I was pastoring the church. All those things were to survive and to be able to pay bills and keep everything going. But it was a good time of life. Everything was humming along smoothly. Everything was going good. Dr. Samuel Ambrose came in, and he and another doctor ran me through a battery of tests. And then Dr. Ambrose came in to me and he said, Dennis, I hate to tell you this, but son, here are the tumors we found and you have three to five years to live. And that hit me as a young father and a young pastor, somebody that preached healing, somebody that had seen people healed, somebody that had been healed. 
I had a blue Audi at the time, and I remember sitting in that car in the parking structure at Emory University, just weeping and telling God, if I'd have known this, if I'd have known you were going to let this happen to me, I would have never gotten married. I would have never adopted those children. This is not fair. My father's dad had died when he was six years old. And I've heard the stories my dad told me. My father-in-law was an orphan and growing up in an orphanage. And I wish I could tell you over the next few weeks that I experienced glorious faith. I didn't tell Becky for quite a while. Just kept building. We kept singing with our children at night. I kept praying with Becky at night. We kept building a church. We kept building a school. I kept building a business because there were babies to diaper and babies to feed. I couldn't get insurance at that time, health insurance or life insurance. That's how fragile my life was. I began doubling up on house payments because then I knew I wanted a place for my family. And somewhere one day in the church when I was praying, the Lord challenged me in prayer. And he said, are you going to believe my promises to you? Are you going to believe the diagnosis of these doctors? Now, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was just a challenge. I requested another appointment. Same results. Came back and told Becky what had happened. We wept and we prayed and we just kept working. You see, there is a grit that comes when you stop believing your doubts and you start believing the promises of God. When you start believing your doubts, you quit believing God. When you take your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to sink in the storm like Peter did. But when you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're not going to be floating. You're going to be walking on top of the waves. And ladies and gentlemen, I am here over 30 years later, tumor-free, getting ready for another round of tests, and by faith I believe they will still be tumor-free because our God is a healing God. What was there is not there any longer because our God is a faithful God. And my call to you, if the storm is not here, you keep building board by board by board, plank by plank. You keep trusting God. Don't listen to the doubts of other people. Believe the promises of God, for God will never lie to you, and God will never let you down. That's the word of the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see, the very thing the devil wants to suck you under with is the very thing Christ wants to put you on top of. The very thing that was destroying the world is what Noah and his family rode upon. And hear me this morning, for our Savior said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in our day. Friends, we are not the troublers of Israel. We are the salt and the light. The church is the hope of this world. It's what God is doing in the world today. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? 
You see, the thing that crushes other people is meant to build us up. Now, the other part of this is simply this, is that Jesus is our ark. Jesus is our ark. And so when the storms of sin and condemnation, yes, I'm a sinner. I told the board yesterday, I'm a depraved pastor, pastoring a depraved congregation. That wasn't coming up from a problem. That was in my leadership lesson I was sharing with them. There are no perfect Christians. We're all sinners saved by grace. And I listened to somebody recently say, oh, we're not sinners saved by grace. We're saints. What do you think saints are? Saints are sinners that are saved by grace. So if you're a saint, and if you look at somebody's little statue of somebody's little saint in the yard, look at him and say, there's a sinner saved by grace. That's the definition of saint. Get it? Good. So it's not a criticism. I'm a depraved pastor, pastoring a depraved church. But we are saints because the storms of judgment fell upon Christ. Just like the storms of judgment fell upon the ark. And Jesus lifts us up. And one day, it may be sooner than I think or sooner than you think. Jesus, who Paul says we live in Christ, we abide in Christ, we are in Christ. One day our ark, Jesus, is going to take us past the moon, the sun, the stars, and all the galaxies and take us into the very heart of God where we are reunited with all of those who have died and gone on before us in faith. Hallelujah. That's the ark. I'm flying home. I'm flying home, and there's a rainbow I'm looking at out the window. And the little boy suddenly behind me goes, Mama, a rainbow. And I just listened as her mother told the story of Noah and the rainbow. And I remember what I shared with you last week, that the rainbow, that same word is the same word for bow and arrow. The rainbow is that bow, and it's not pointed at this earth. It's not pointed at judgment at us. It's pointed at heaven because the judgment of our sins fell upon our cross. Don't you ever lose the meaning of the rainbow. Don't let the church ever lose the meaning of what the rainbow is. The judgment of our sins fell upon Christ. Well, finally, and sweetheart, if you'll come to the piano. Noah left the deluge and started over. And for some of you this morning, I believe that this is truly the word of the Lord. You need to get into Christ. You need to hide in Christ. Because there's a storm coming. And the very thing that will destroy others will lift you up and save you and save your family. Some of you you need to follow the plan of God. Not a board here, not a board there. But you need to become a passionate follower of Jesus. You need to go, as we say down south, whole hog. You need to go all in with your faith. And some of you, it's time to leave the storm. Yes, you were sick. 
Yes, your wife left you. Yes, your daddy abandoned you. Yes, your mother abused you. I don't understand why some of the things happened. You lost your child. Your boss was unfair to you. I can't explain all of that to you. I can just tell you, when you go through the waters, or when you go through the flood, when you go through the furnace, God will be with you. And if God is with you, you can start all over again. You can rebuild again. Don't let the past memory of the hurt, knowing his family could have sit around going, oh, everything is lost, everything is gone. All we've got is this stinky old ship and these animals. But they planted vineyards and they started off. They built a home. They built a civilization. They offered sacrifices to God. They started all over again. And you're here. We're here this morning because they started all over again. Where in the name of all that is holy and pure do we allow ourselves to believe the lie? There is no more hope. It's too late to start over. I can't do this. With Christ, it is never, ever too late. There is always more of God available to us that we're willing to access and to tap into. And I can hear you. Oh, I hear you. You're talking to me right now because you're such a good Bible scholar. And I'm glad you're asking this question because I've been waiting on you. I've been praying for you all week. You're sitting there, Mr. Smarty Pants. You're going, yeah, but Noah sinned all over again. He got drunk. He exposed himself, Pastor. I know that. I've been a pastor for a long time. And I've seen a lot of things I wish I had never seen before. But see, that's good news to me. Why is it good news? Because when Noah went in the ark, the power of sin was still there. And when Noah came out of the ark, Noah had a choice to make. And God did not hold his sin against Noah. Noah must have repented. Noah must have sought God. Noah must have repented to his sons because the very reason I had Corey read to you from Hebrews chapter 11 is the New Testament includes Noah not in the hall of shame but in the hall of faith this morning. That tells me that even though I may stumble, even though I may fall, even though I'm a depraved pastor, depastoring a depraved church, rejoice not over my, me, my enemy, when I stumble, for in Christ I will rise again. Can somebody give him a hand of praise this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's time to rise again. Would you stand with me this morning? And I want to pray with you and bless you before you go home. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you on this Sunday morning, October the 18th, August the 18th. Jesus, you are here with us. Jesus, you are present to save and to heal. <laughs> 
Jesus, you are present to give a do-over to those who, like Noah, may have fallen. You are present to help those who embrace the plan of God. And Jesus, you are here to welcome those who would say, Father, forgive me. I have sinned. And you want to welcome them in to the ark this morning. So my friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus or if you've slipped away, you've backslidden from your commitment to faith in Christ, would you just pray this prayer quietly with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for my sins. For I could never pay for my sins. But Jesus paid it all. And I ask you to forgive me, Lord. For I want to be found in Christ, the ark of safety this morning. And though I don't understand it all, as much as I know how, I commit myself to following you in Jesus' holy name. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for those who committed their lives to Christ? Now, I've given you some growth work here at the end. You've got to make a decision, four decisions as a result of this message. Number one, you've got to decide whether or not you're going to prepare for action. If the storms are coming, they say are coming, how are you preparing your family and yourself? Not out of fear, but out of faith. Number two, if you prayed that prayer and you decided to follow Christ, I have something I want to give you at the back of the service this morning. If you'll just come to our connections desk, it's a new believer's kit. I have something I want to email you tomorrow. I won't bird dog you. I won't chase you around. I just want to give you something. But we're here if you want us to help you discover how to follow and walk with Jesus. The third thing, some of you, it's time to quit building a life raft and build an ark. You need to follow the plan of God. And the reason your head is just above the water or the reason you're sinking is because you're not following the plan of God. You've got to decide today to build a godly home, to build a godly life, and to build with the plans and the materials that God gives you. And then others of you, it's time to leave the past behind. It's redeemed. God forgave your sins. God saved you from your sins. And anybody that reminds you of your sins, you look them in the eye just like they're the devil. And you tell them, Satan, get thee behind me. What God has forgiven, God has cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Can you say amen to that? Some of you, you've had hurt. It's time. You may never stop hurting. My scars still hurt. But you can move on. And you can build a life. Amen? Well, may the Lord bless you. May the God who gives us peace and causes us to dwell together in unity without strife, may the God who hears our prayers and answers our prayers in accordance with his will through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, may he bless you and make you prosperous and productive in everything you do for the glory of God this week. Amen.